0: Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day, Lord, this day of calm from the storms, Lord, this day of peace to come into this refuge and to be uh, cared for by you, to be built up, Lord, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be blessed. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak this morning. We pray that you would speak into our hearts, that you would reveal yourself powerfully and profoundly, That you would help us to see you, Lord, to know you, to love you, and to know and understand ourselves as well. And we pray for your blessing upon this time. Lord, give me your words and give us all your words, Lord, that we might go into this world proclaiming the hope of your salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Morning. It is dynamite to see you all today. Well, as you know, last week was quite the challenge for uh, quite a few people uh, down in the area below the Oroville Dam, all right? 188,000 were evacuated from their homes and people from Marysville, at least a chunk of them, came up to our fairgrounds where they sought shelter, sought refuge. And so we had almost a thousand people there um, from Marysville area. I don't know where they were all from, but everyone I talked to seemed to be from around there. And so we had teams from our church go out, our deacons went out, there were individuals from our church, um, and others went to go and to care for these people who had left, walked away from everything to um, respond to the emergency evacuation order, but also in the hope that their lives would be preserved if anything were to happen. Now, as I was walking around in there, the first day I was out, I I ran into this lady and she had been evacuated from an assisted living facility. And she said it was her third time she had been evacuated. The first time was in like the 50s, then in the 90s, and then now. And she was fine. She was smiling. She was engaging. And she said, everyone should be forced to move out to be evacuated at some point. To know what it's like to walk away from everything you have and then to entrust yourselves to the help and assistance of others. Kind of an interesting thing, huh? Walking away from everything, seeing what's important to you in life, what you really value, allowing the Lord to realign our priorities, and then also entrusting ourselves to others, knowing that we can't support ourselves. We can't care for ourselves because we don't have the means to. We've left everything behind. That is what this woman wanted people to feel, was what it's like to be, to trust, to be in complete trust of somebody else, that they're going to care for you. That situation is something similar to what's going on in the wilderness in our passage from Leviticus. Right? Moses has his people there out in the wilderness. Remember last week we were on the edge of the promised land. We're gonna rewind this week and now we're back in the wilderness. And they've left behind the land of Egypt, the land where they had homes and food, but were slaves and where they were not free to have their children and were not free to worship God. Then the Lord, as you remember, led them out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with miraculous um, power. God brought them through the Red Sea on dry land, and then he has brought them to Mount Sinai. And in our passage for today, we have the Lord speaking to Moses about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. What it means to love your neighbor. And in this passage, you'll see there's principles that pertain to many different aspects of the lives of the Israelites. Now, the passage begins with probably the hardest statement in the entire passage, and that is, or if not in the entire scriptures, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. With this statement, the standard is set and the standard is perfection, right? You don't hear him say you should be partially holy as I am holy do you. I didn't hear that one. Maybe your Bible has that. Mine didn't. Right. So it's not 50% holy. Not 75% or 99.9%. It's completely holy, all or nothing. Perfection. This is the measure by which God will judge. The people shall be perfect and set apart as God is perfect and set apart. That's what holy means. Complete or perfect and set apart. Then he shows us what it looks like to be holy. What does it look like to be set apart? What does it look like to be his people? It means caring for your neighbor, loving your neighbor. So the first thing we see in this command is about how you were to harvest your field or vineyard. And uh, the way you were supposed to harvest it was you were supposed to leave the edges of it unharvested. And why was that? For gleaners, right? So they could come, they could harvest up what you had left behind. Uh, later on, we get more uh, information on this. And if you were harvesting and part of the sheaf fell on the ground, what were you supposed to do with it? Leave it. Right? Leave it. It's for it's for those people who will come after you. Leave it on the ground. Uh, we see this uh, in the book of Ruth, right? We see this really applied and how she on Boaz's field is able to care for herself and her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, through gleaning on her kinsmen redeemer's fields. God bless you. God bless you. It's a really interesting way to care for others too, isn't it? Right, Because it allows people to come and to maintain their sense of dignity. You're not giving them a handout. You are allowing them to come on your property and they are able to... It belongs to them. The gleanings belong to them and they just need to come and harvest it themselves. So they have work. They have that ability to to keep their head up high because they are caring for their family and supporting them. And they're free to do with the gleanings what they wish. This is different than the tithe, right? Leaving the gleanings in the field is different than the tithe, right? It's a separate thing. This is over and above what we give to the Lord was what we would leave to care for the poor, right? So that they could have a life and dignity. All right, then the Lord tells the people, you shall not steal you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another and you shall not swear falsely by my name, pro- t- pro- profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. Right. So here we have uh, stealing, cheating, lying and false oaths. Uh, we have you'll recognize several of the Ten Commandments in these. Right. Uh, and loving your neighbor is tied then to not stealing. How's that? Is it easy to be a good neighbor when you're stealing from your neighbor? No, not at all, right? You would never think, oh, that guy you stole from me, man, he's a great neighbor. I love having him right there, right? I wish we didn't have a fence or locks on our doors, right? No, that's not the way to be a great neighbor. A neighbor, you should trust one another and be able to to trust their word, to trust their actions when they tell you they'll do something, to believe that they will do it and to be able to um, to trust that. Right. If they say they're going to pick up your mail while you're gone, they pick up your mail. Right? Simple things. Being a good citizen, we see as part of being a good neighbor, a loving neighbor. All right. Then we move to business practices. Uh, the Lord says, you shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal and you shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the death or put a stumbling block before the blind, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Now, again, we have a reference to stealing. Is there any reason why? It's just bad. What's that? It's important, not it's important not to do, and it's pretty common, too, right? It's pretty common. Now, so again, we're brought back to that ten, one of those Ten Commandments, We also see uh, that some of the commands here pertain to paying your workers fairly and on time, right? And we see this picked up in our labor laws, right? You can't withhold the wages of someone who has earned them. You just can't. It's against the law. Also, we're told not to illegally take money. You shall not defraud your neighbor. Great recession, anyone? Bernie Madoff, right? Ponzi schemes. We've got all that here, all that. We should conduct ourselves and our business practices in a way that we treat people in a neighborly fashion, that we care for them and love them. All right, then we get to a really interesting statement, right? We're not supposed to hamper the lives of the disabled, right? We're not supposed to revile the deaf, right? Just because they can't hear you doesn't mean you say things that are wounding toward them. You treat them with kindness and dignity. And we're not supposed to put a stumbling block before the blind, something that will cause them to fall. Right? Instead, we're supposed to care for them and see that they are, are are blessed and protected. This is the beginning of the ADA, right? The Americans with Disabilities Act. This is it, right? It was a part of the Hebrew culture that they were supposed to care in a unique way for people who who could not hear or who could not see. It's really a beautiful principle that we see in this passage. All these things, the way we treat people, particularly the less powerful, reveal how we are as neighbors and who we are and the God we worship. And the Lord wanted his people to be perfect, to be holy, to be set apart, to be different than the other nations, which might take advantage of the weak and the powerless. God wanted the Israelites to be people who would lift up the powerless and the needy. Then we have words about justice. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Justice should be blind. As we always see it depicted, right, in statues and pictures, right, justice is blindfolded with the scales. That's how the Lord called for justice to be fair for everyone. Even if you can't hire a high-power lawyer, justice was supposed to be fair and equal. Also, you will not slander one another. You're not supposed to say things which hurt other people. You're not supposed to benefit either by the the death of your neighbor. You're not supposed to be someone who capitalizes on the misfortune of others. Again, these reference not taking advantage of those who might be less powerful or who are put in a powerless situation by circumstances in their lives. Good neighborliness is about being someone who cares for those who are less fortunate or in difficult places in their life. And then we have kind of a turn, right? Because all of these things before have been about actions and about externally visible circumstances, We have a twist here as the Lord then zeroes in on the real challenge. He says, you shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt for yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The Lord is telling Moses here, you need to deal with your issues of anger with other people. You need to sort them out. If you've done something wrong or they've done something wrong to you, deal with it. Work it out with them. Don't hold it in and let it build and fester inside of you. And also, don't express it by means of slander. Don't just try and disparage their character. Instead, work for a just and a right settlement to this. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. And that means forgiveness and mercy. In this section, the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And you can't fake the heart. You can fake the other things. You can, like, not steal. You can not lie most of the time. But you can't fake the heart. It's impossible to get around it. Now, these are the instructions that Moses has given for the people to reveal their love for their neighbor. These were things that if the Israelites were to do, they would show the world that their God is a God of mercy and compassion. A God who cares for the powerless. Who cares for and loves the needy and the hurting. But the big reason, the motivation behind all of these actions and and heart issues can be found at every paragraph. Each one of these paragraphs ends with this amazing phrase, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. The reason that the Israelites were to love their neighbor as their was because God is the Lord. We see this in the New Testament, right? When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Right, And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Without the first, the second makes no sense. And so here we see the foundation for that, that the Lord is basing all these commandments about loving your neighbor upon an understanding that God is the Lord and that he is our God. Now, when I was at the fairgrounds on Wednesday, a woman who was serving there as well, she came over and asked me, well, aside from, because I was wearing my collar, She says, aside from God, why are you here? (laughs) Kind of interesting question, right? Aside from God, why are you here? And so I thought for a while and kind of bumbled something about, you know, wanting to care for people and things like that. But it got me thinking, aside from God, why was I there? Is there any other reason aside from God? No. No. According to According to what the Lord says to Moses here, God is the reason we care. God is the reason we love. God is the reason we sacrifice. God is the reason we don't prey upon the weak. God is the reason why we lift up the lowly. God is the reason, and the reason is is because God has come to me and to you. He came to me when I was a person who was trapped in a world that was destroying me. He came to me when I felt like I was held under the floodwaters of my own sin. And he took hold of me. And he brought me to a place of safety and security and put my feet upon the rock. And because of that, because he loved me first, gives me the strength to love my neighbor as myself, Faulting, falteringly, with great failures, and yet still the strength is there to love our neighbors as ourselves. You and I, you and I are called to live that way that the Lord speaks of in Leviticus, to love our neighbor as ourself, to care for the lowly and the hurting the lost, and the alien, the stranger. He calls us to do this, not because it's through obedience to this law that we will be saved, but rather because we have been saved already by a God who came to us when we ourselves were hurting, lost, and lonely. And he rescued us and loved us. And so he sends us out into this world, this desperate, hurting world, and asks us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So that through our loving, through our service and sacrifice, the world will see Jesus Christ. May we do this. May we do this out of gratitude for what God has done for us. And when we fall short, may we confess to the Lord that we have failed and ask for his forgiveness. May we confess to those who we have let down in our failure and ask for their forgiveness. And may we seek reconciliation, always desiring to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to be people of mercy and grace and love. Lord God, in order for this, may we turn to you now. And we ask for your mercy and grace and love. We confess, Lord God, that we are selfish, that we fall short, we are lazy, Lord, Lord, we are confronted by the problems of the world, and they seem so very big, and we feel so very small. Lord God, we pray that you would give us faith, that you would give us trust, Lord. Lord, give us the ability to believe in you, Lord, and to trust that you are the God who has redeemed us. And Lord God, in that faith, may we go into this world seeking to love others and caring for them in your name. We pray for your blessing upon this, Lord God, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to lift up your name and to lift up your righteousness in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.